I can scan a class of students in a very different way than I could do when I had just done the in-person. And so you just become hyper aware because you have, you're doing something different with the body than, than just feeling it. Ignite your best life. Yoga is the spark. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Yoga Hacks podcast where we take yoga off the mat and into your daily life. If you've been hanging out with me here on social media, you probably are aware of the fact that I have a yoga teacher training. I actually have an in-person yoga teacher training, but I also have an online yoga teacher training, which if you are already a yoga teacher, you can also take part in uh, for continuing education credit. And Online teacher training seems to, I don't know, I feel like it presses people's buttons. People are confused about it. They're skeptical. And as time has gone on, I've realized how powerful this program is. I think I started out as a big skeptic. And when I was first doing this 200-hour online certification, even I myself was wondering, like, is this really going to work? Can it be as powerful as I think it can? And I've always been, you know, very modest about how, like, well, you know, in-person is, um, you know, great. And they're, they're both great. And they are both great. But as time has gone on and I see the quality of people graduating from the online program, I feel like I need to stand up a little bit more and kind of shout from the rooftops how awesome the online program has been. And I think the biggest thing holding people back from exploring the online path is just confusion about like how could it possibly work. So obviously there's tons of information online. I'll put the links to that below. But today I thought I'd bring on one of my students, um, prior students who did the online teacher training and ask her about her experience. And I really wanted to bring her on for a couple reasons. I'm going to introduce her in a second. I wanted to bring her on because she also did an in-person training or she almost completed an in-person training. She's going to give us all the juicy details. But so she really got the experience of what an in-person training was like. There's huge value to that. And then what an online training is like. So I thought she'd be a great person to ask, especially for those of you who are you know, considering which route they want to go down. The second reason I thought it would be great to bring her on is because she's also a professor and she's been studying online learning in particularly in reference in relation to yoga and how people learn yoga online, not just teacher trainings, but also just learn the physical asana practice. So she has a lot of cool insights. So I'm super excited to introduce her. And uh, Amanda, thanks for coming on the show with me today. Thank you so, so much for inviting me. What an honor. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. So one of the first things I thought we could do was maybe just have you describe for the listeners, what was it like to go through the online program? Like, what were you doing on a daily, weekly basis? Because I'm always talking to people about how there's these live calls and it's interactive. But from the student perspective, can you just describe to someone what actually happened during our training, <laughs> like in your daily life? What were you doing? So... Just like you said, I'm a professor. So my day-to-day -day life, I was working, I was teaching classes, doing research. Um, and also I am a yoga teacher. So I was also teaching yoga classes in the evening. So pretty chock full schedule. So how the online training kind of fit in for me was that I downloaded the different um, PDFs, the beautiful PDFs, um, and would read them on my way into work. 
<clears throat> and I like the paper copies. So I would actually just carry the paper copies with me wherever I would go. And I would just read them. And to be honest with you, I actually still carry them with me. And I still actually go back to them. Um, and so I would just look at what the modules were, what the notes were, what the homework was, the little kind of sections with each chapter or each module chapter. And then I would watch the videos. And what I would do is on my lunch break at work, I would actually just hook up and download a different module because they're not necessarily that long, right? Some of them were 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So you could really kind of get through them and I would eat and I would make my notes. And so I would kind of do that on my way into work. I would have my lunch. I would be able to watch a module. And then on my way home, I would reflect on what I had learned. And so it, was, it wasn't passive learning because I definitely had to put my time and energy into it, but it, it went with my schedule. So it was really different from my previous experiences of having to lock myself away in a yoga studio um, almost exclusively for super long periods of time. So it was these small sips um, of learning, which really, really worked for me because I didn't necessarily have a prolonged period of time to be able to put towards, um, put towards it. I love it. I'm like visualizing you. Amanda lives in France, everyone. So I'm like visualizing her in like Paris, like <laughs> listening to a module with like a cafe au lait next yeah. to her. So, and just so people are visualizing this clearly, when you talk about a module, you're talking about one of the videos that's in the training, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the lesson videos. And when you're talking exactly. about PDFs, you're talking about our yoga teacher training manual. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And did you get a hard copy of the manual? Because I know some international students prefer that, you know, they request a digital copy instead. So I requested the digital copy and um, mostly because I thought I was going to be a, um, sort of environmentally friendly. And then I realized I really wanted to make notes. And the way that the manual was really set up was that you could make notes directly on it. So what I did was I used my work. I don't know if I should say that. Use the work I, printer. I used <laughs> um, use my work printer and I printed it out and I just found it myself. So um, that worked really well for me because then when we would actually get on the calls, I would have my notes handy. So I found that worked really, really well for me and I could just make notes. I had it with me. And I actually bound it into smaller sections. So it wasn't a super heavy book for me to carry around. So that kind of just worked with my flexible mobile lifestyle. That's great. And I'm showing the manual right now in case this ever gets made a video, but it is thick. It's like a good two, three inch huge mm -hmm. book. And it's funny because I tell even all our international students, I'm like, no, you want the paper manual because it is designed as a workbook. It's not just like passive reading. It's designed yeah. so you can fill it out and so you can make all these notes that we then discuss on the live calls. So yeah. you kind of talked about your day to day, like when we're not on a live call. Can you explain? explain to someone like who's never again imagine they know nothing what what's this live call thing that's mm -hmm. part of <laughs> so I was really kind of nervous because I do live in France so I'm Canadian but I moved to France to work at a business school here I'm a business professor and I was nervous that knowing that you're on the west coast that the times wouldn't work for me and it was so wonderful that you sent out the doodle to kind of see what worked for the different time zones that you were working with. And I wasn't able to attend all, all of the live calls that were hosted each week, um, but I was able to attend two of the three. And I made it my commitment to at least attend one and usually two. And so what it is, is it's kind of like a better version of Skype is how I just people. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is it's less fuzzy and it's crisper and you're able to see the different participants in like little tiny thumbnail kind of bubbles on the screen if their camera's on. And then along the side, there's like a chat function. So to keep the call going, you know, there might be 20 people on a call, 30 people on a call, everyone would be muted and you would, we would start with the meditation. We would really ground down. We'd start with a meditation and we would each take turns guiding the meditation so that we would get used to our voice and narrating an authentic meditation that really came from us. And we would be able to, it sounds so funny, but really get into what we were about to do. So it didn't matter what we were doing before, what we were about to do, it just, we grounded in and and we got to know each other a little bit, you know, just with like some small talk and things like that through the chat function. So the chat function is on the right hand side, I guess. And when people have questions or thoughts or ideas, or you ask a question, people are able to just type their comments or ping you and say, hey, raise their hand and say, hey, I have a question. So it wasn't distracting, you know, like with a Skype, how if I go to say something and you say something at the same time, it cancels out and you don't hear anything. There was none of that. So it was a really seamless flow of conversation, but you still had your questions answered. Um, and no one... It wasn't... I guess it was also... It's funny because I'm a professor, so you'd think that I would not be worried about this, but I don't like being put on the spot about things. And it was so lovely because it was always a volunteer basis on whether or not you wanted to actually have a question or flag a question or go deeper into something. So you didn't have to worry that, you know, you were going to say, Amanda, are you paying attention? Or, you know, all of the terrible things I say to my students. So, you know, you really, um, you let people um, lead with the answers that they felt comfortable with but and that developed a safety where you felt like you could say hey I'm really not getting this nostril breathing or I'm not getting this pose or can we go further into what the hamstring does and so that was really the base of the call format and then the thing that I love 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 the most was the pose review mm, okay so we're going to talk about that next but just for people listening to make clear, like what Amanda's talking about is we have this chat function where you, you know, people are writing kind of like a messenger type situation, but then they can also talk to me and each other, right? So they might say, Hey, I have a question about this. And I'll be like, Hey, and then what I always say, I'm like, Hey, let me unmute you. And then yeah. me and that person have a conversation because I think like with a lot of online learning still, it's very like chat based. Like you can only chat to the teacher. For example, if I go on YouTube live or Facebook live, people chat me, right? And I'm the only person live. But with the interactive yoga teacher training calls, it's not like that. It's you can actually talk to me um, quite easily. It's just like we keep everyone on mute unless you like want to say something because exactly. otherwise it would be a mess. So I just want to make sure people could kind of visualize, visualize that. Um, and then, yeah, that's, I guess, the next big question that people have is, and, and yes, we meditate at the beginning of every call, of course. And, um, you know, a big focus for me with the training is helping people get into action and take action. So getting them to practice teach, uh, practice teaching these opening meditations is incredibly, incredibly important to me. And it helps everyone get to know one another. And Amanda, 
we've evolved the program a bunch since you took it because she took it, I think, the first time I ran it. Um, but now we actually divide people into little mini study groups at the end mm-hmm. of each live call so they can all talk to one another. We may have done that once or twice with your inaugural group, but now it's like part of the regular program. So you really get to know the other people who are in your call time. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so poses. It's like, how can you learn alignment and uh, the physical asana practice in an online format? So let's use your words. Like, how did that work in the training from your perspective? So in the manual, there was an overview of all of all of the postures that we were going to cover. And it's quite extensive. So it's not every single posture that there is, but there is a a very good volume of postures um, that build on one another. Standing postures, seated postures, um, sun salutations. It was it's a very thorough kind of overview. And so in the manual, you see the cueing. So how would you cue a pose? And there's pictures and there's also description. And so you have access to this from day one. So we have access to you actually doing various stages of the poses as well as what is being cued. And then in addition to that, one of the very first asks was to take pictures or video clips of ourselves in the poses. And you gave a lot of instruction on how to actually take pictures of yourself. So for people who were maybe not so technologically savvy, there was definitely a lot of help on what you needed to do. And some people, you know, just got their partner or their children or their friends to take photos. For myself, I had my boyfriend do it. And I think some of them I actually edited myself and then just had my um, my Mac computer take the video and then I made stills out of it. So you gave us a list of the poses that we needed to take photos of and then we uploaded them to a Dropbox folder. And then on every call, we would go through different, on the asana calls, we would go through different postures and we would actually freeze frame people and really look at people's alignment. And so, you know, you mentioned I'd already done a yoga teacher's training and I was basically through it and I broke my wrist. And then I ended up moving to France. And so I thought, okay, you know, am I going to go back and do another full training or try to finish this off? So I had already done a lot. I had already done a lot from from an asana perspective. But what was so lovely about this ability to freeze frame the photos was you could really see the variation in people's bodies. And when I had done the in-person training, you know, there's 40 people standing around and you're not actually able to see what someone's hip is doing. You're not able to focus on what someone's shoulders doing because there's just too many things going on at once. And so this was really interesting to be able to compare and not in a judgmental way, um, but more in a, what are different people's bodies doing? So that as a teacher, you could become very aware of how you needed to then address the different concerns in these different people's bodies. And, and I so actually it, draw on people. You do, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like with a little highlighter. And so, and I took a lot of screen, cra- screen grabs while you would do that because I would go, oh yeah. 
So this person has the booty pop, right? Their bum is sticking out or their low back is sticking out. And I would take a screenshot for myself and I would save it. And I would then make notes afterwards to be able to just jog my memory. And so when I had done my in-person training, you know, I remember trying to draw stick figures myself as my instructors were talking and it's hard. You're sitting on a bolster in in-person training. You're trying to make notes. You're trying to see, you're trying to cue. It, there's just so much going on. So this ability to slow it down and really just isolate the body, see what's going on, understand it with the visual totally clicked for me. That's so cool. And this was Another reason I wanted to bring you on the podcast, because I never really thought about it this way until I was chatting with Amanda, is that same for me, similar to her experience in my in-person training, which again, I loved. In-person trainings are awesome. Um, but one thing that I didn't love was that to look at an asana, there was like, a, would have a mat in the center of the room. Was this the same for your training, exactly. Amanda? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like a mat in the center of the room and, it, and they'd say, okay, who wants to volunteer to do warrior two? So we can all look at so-and-so in warrior two. And one person would come in and do warrior two. And again, you're like circling the person. You could never really make notes because um, Mm -hmm. again, you're like, you were sort of standing for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. Um, Mm -hmm. Or or if you were sitting, you're like squatting on a bolster or whatever. There's a lot of people and you'd look at something and maybe the person had like interesting things to look at in their warrior two. By interesting, I mean, did they have common misalignments? Like, did they have things that we're likely to see in our students as we go out in the world and teach and then be able to cue and fix and adjust. Um, Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. It was kind of just like a crapshoot. And then they'd leave the mat and someone else would come on the mat and maybe do warrior two, or maybe we've already moved on. And now we're looking at a different pose. And what we do in the online training, which I didn't even realize how cool this is until I talked to Amanda, like how special it is, is that in looking at these photos, We can literally have like two photos on the screen at the same time and be like, this is what warrior two looks like in this body. This is what warrior two looks like in this body. And we can draw them and talk about those common misalignments. Um, And then in addition to that, I basically get a folder full of people's warrior twos, right? And before the live call even starts, I go through and I pick out the three or four people that I want to look at who are the most interesting. And again, by most interesting, I mean uh, the ones who are maybe struggling or have the most interesting things that as a teacher, again, you want to be able to visually be able to see and then know how to effectively cue. And one thing I do a lot in the calls is as we look at these photos, I'd say, does someone want to uh, either you know, explain what they're seeing here in anatomical terms, right? Maybe there's um, lordosis on the lumbar spine. Maybe there's um, a thoracic rounding that's happening, right? But I also will say, does someone want to try to practice teach? Like pretend this person, this photo of this person doing warrior two is in your classroom. What are you going to say to them? Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of practice teach on online. Does that like jive with what you remember, Amanda? Yeah, it's 1,000. It's 1,000%. And then the other thing that you do, which is great, is that you go through what the comments are for everybody or for the few photos that you've picked out. And then in, I don't know if you're still doing this, but for us, you would then give us the feedback as well. So you would post some notes just to our Facebook group. Um, And that was really great because it also got us comfortable in our own bodies. So how can you get feedback that you, in a non-judgmental way, and 
and learn from it and try to do, you know, try to identify what you're doing. And then you, you yourself can go back to the picture of yourself and go, she's right. Yeah. So you take the picture, we do the call, you then give us the feedback and then we have the ability to go back to our body in time and actually look at what our body was doing. And, and that doesn't happen in, 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 in person yoga training, teacher training, because most of the time studios don't even have mirrors on the walls, right? right? So your ability to actually just conceptualize what your body is doing and what you need to cue kind of goes in one ear and out the other. So this slows that process just down. Right. And sometimes people are like, my low back isn't arched. It isn't arched. And then it's like, look at the photo. It is. And exactly. we love you. But, you know, we're building this awareness as a community together to really take our asana practice to the next level, which again is really all about, you know, taking the flow of prana in our body to the next level so we can be happier and inspire and elevate and be a forklift for everyone around us mm -hmm. as we go out and teach. Um, but so that's kind of how the, the asana portion works on the online teacher training, which I think is just one of the pieces that people are the most confused about. And I feel like I've had insecurity about it as I've in years past, right? Because it's like, does this measure up? You know, nothing's as good as being in person and being able to touch someone and all this stuff. And as I grow myself as a teacher trainer, I really want to stand here in front of everyone and say, no, actually, I think this is highly, highly valuable. Of course, being in person has value too, but this learning format is not less than in any way um, to, to studying alignment in person because there's so many advantages, this ability to freeze frame, this ability to draw on people, this ability to look at two very interesting anatomical cases of, uh, you know, a body issue showing up in warrior one side by side at the same moment. Like that is very, very special. I think it's a really cool way to learn. And yeah, I'm, I love doing it too. So. It's, it's also, so, you know, I do, I study, I do a lot of work that looks my, my, my day job, my work as a professor. I, I look at how people work online. And one of the things I'm just, just finishing off a study on this with some co-authors. And one of the things that we've really looked at is the way that people who teach yoga online or do yoga online are able to have an awareness, not only about their body, but just a spatial awareness in general. So it's, a deeper embodiment actually without the body. So without the physical body being necessarily present, the body has to work harder in order to be aware. And so you can scan and read what's going on in a very different way. So it's really interesting. Um, it, it's a really cool experience. What I would suggest people do if they're skeptical is take a picture of themselves or take a small video. And then before they watch it, think about what they think they just did. You know, go into a tree pose or do a down dog and think about what they think they did. And then actually watch it and see what you pick up and the cues that you pick up. And that's a very small bit of, of what the experience I had was in doing your training. Yeah, getting that feedback. I think in-person training should do this. They should make people yeah. take photos of themselves. I and agree. Look at them. So you really understand what's going on in your body. Because again, especially in studios without mirrors, it's very hard. Now, another thing people get caught up on, and this is again, totally valid. It's like, well, what about the hands-on adjustment piece? What about, you know, touching people? And I want to hear your thoughts on this, Amanda. But one of my big thoughts here is that hands-on adjustments are such a small portion 
of what you do as a yoga teacher. If you are exclusively working with private clients, okay, maybe you do a lot of hands-on because you're constantly working with people one-on-one and there's that trust and that intimacy built. However, the average teacher, you're teaching to a group of people and it's not possible to do hands-on on everyone all the time. Second of all, there's not that many people you might feel comfortable doing hands-on or your students might not be comfortable having you touch them either, right? They might have past trauma or abuse or, you know, you, you really never, ever know. And I know for me, when I used to teach a lot of public studio classes, a lot of gym classes, I would ask if anyone wanted hands-on at the beginning. And then even so, I'd really only do the really juicy feel-good stuff to people who I knew, who, who were regulars, who were coming back. Mm-hmm. So more important than being able to touch people and adjust them is I think being able to cue people incredibly effectively. Mm-hmm. How can you use, and we talk a lot about that in the finding your voice modules and you know signature style and how to talk, like how to actually talk when you teach yoga. It's different from how we're talking right now to really cue people to do with their limbs and their hips and their body what you want them to do. And my favorite teacher in New York, who I kind of consider one of my biggest inspirations, he's so incredible at getting you in your body and describing alignment. And I realized, like, compared to most teachers, he really doesn't do hands-on. Like, he Mm -hmm. barely does it at all. Mm -hmm. And um, there's such power in your voice and helping someone. You can even stand right next to them. And then sometimes I think it's really more powerful to say to them, can you move your left hip back an inch, drop mm-hmm. your right hip, rather than putting your hands on them and like yanking them? <laughs> because then they get the proprioception that we're mm-hmm. talking about. They, if they can do it in their own body by themselves, once mm-hmm. or twice with your, your, with your cueing, with your voice, it's more likely, in my opinion and experience, that they're going to integrate that and be able to take it into the next class and the next class and the next class, mm-hmm. rather than if I just come up behind them and like, you know, mm-hmm. touch their hips. Now, of course, there's value in touch. Um, and there's three or four videos in the training that are all about hands-on adjustments. So it's me with a bunch of students showing close-ups of how to do all the hands-on adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- you do have video access to all of that. And of course, for people who want more of that, you can come study in person. I have the online, uh, sorry, the in-person training. And I also have a mastermind weekend that I'm running now where you can come and study in person. But Amanda, what I've noticed the same thing. I've noticed the same thing as you. And even now when I'm teaching yoga, I'm teaching a handful of classes each week. I'm not a super big touchy feely person. And I'm also really aware of some of what is going on right now from a sexual harassment and assault perspective. And it's really in the forefront of people's minds. And so I think there's a new element actually to bodily aware, uh, awareness and space and respect. So even outside of the muscular integrity, there's also just um, really needing to work on that rapport and relationship um, before just, you know, touching someone's hip or touching someone's low back, especially right now, it's so, so sensitive. Um, One of the things that I've noticed, even when I am teaching now face-to-face classes, is I'm more likely to just stand right beside the person and get into the pose with them and then give them the cues. So I'm feeling it in my body and I'm explaining what I'm feeling, the subtleties of maybe what's going on with my pinky toe or my big toe or what my left hip is doing or my right hip is doing. And then I'm watching them look at me or look straight, but also trying to make the adjustments. So they're feeling it out and they're trying to see 
what does it quite feel like? And if I'm noticing that they're still not maybe getting as far into it or as deep into it, they need to go a little further, I can just keep cueing them. So it actually does give you more of a confidence with your voice to be able to scan their body. And you can really do a lot by, by slowing down and not just rushing to kind of move them and then move on to the next person. And I guess the only other thing I would say is some because you know, if you have a class that has 15 people in it, and you're trying to adjust. Maybe people are in chair pose or warrior two. And you're trying to like go around and make a few adjustments. People are holding the pose for so long. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you end up just touching one or two bodies. So it's far more effective to actually be scanning the room, cueing what's going on, standing beside people, and actually working through the adjustments that way. It's just safer for everyone else's body in the room. I agree. We've all, I think everyone listening to this has had that experience where like a teacher in a class is helping someone specifically, like they're dialoguing and all of you are like in chair twist and you're like, please cue us out of this book. Yes, we've all been there. And, you know, I, again, I love the hands-on stuff. There's, I think three or four hours of of videos, three or four hours, guys, of video content that shows the different hands-on adjustments and pretty much every pose that at least all the ones that are in the manual, Um, but I personally, when I look at all my skills that I have as a teacher, visual demonstration, um, my voice, um, where I'm standing in the room, like observe, like all the different skills in my toolkit. I feel like that touch tool is like 10 to 15% of what's in my toolkit. Like it's, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's not what I'm using most of, uh, the time. Amanda, tell us as we move through, like we, talked about the live calls. We talked about how you're studying content at home. There's obviously replays of all the calls. So the ones you don't make live, you just watch the replay. Um, and then what was the graduation process like for you? Because I think that's another thing that people are like really scared and intimidated about. Like, how do you, well, why don't you tell us what was your experience and what, yeah, what is it? So it's, it's funny because I, I test people in my day job all the time, but the idea of having to do a test, like an online test, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And I thought to myself specifically, I knew the things that I knew very well. So there's a test, like there's an end of uh, module or an end of program test. But I was very aware of the things, specifically some of the anatomy things. And likely I'll go back and do another module with you for anatomy in the future, but I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm nervous about this. And you knew we were nervous and you gave us wonderful study guides and there were actually study calls that we could participate in where groups of us would get together and we would just talk about questions we had. You gave us a study guide so we knew what we needed to study. And it wasn't this idea of, you know, you need to be type A and you need to get 100%, but it was, you've learned more than you think you've learned. And this is an opportunity for you to illustrate that. And so it wasn't like we weren't competing to get an A or something like that. It was more so a space to be able to reflect on what we had learned and how we had learned it. And that was things like... um, some of the Sanskrit, the poses, anatomy, um, philosophy. So any of the things that we had covered, there were different kind of elements on the test. And we had a long time to 
FDA write the test. You basically it opened and closed within a certain window. Uh, I forget, was it two months, something like that? It was very long and maybe it was a month, but you could pick the time and place that worked for you. And then there were these study calls where you could talk to other people and really ask questions. We could ask you questions. We could post on the Facebook wall. And then we did the test. We did the, the quiz. And then the other bit of what we had to do was we had to practice teach. We had to guide something. So you had a few options. One of the options was you could do a little video of you teaching someone. The other option was you could do an in-person teaching with you. And so I chose the in-person because I had a chance to, to see you in Florence last year, and that was amazing. And basically, it was a way to synthesize what you had taught us, how we would cue, how we would scan people's bodies, how we made use of our time. Um, and going through the postures. So it was just those two components. And, you know, in hindsight, I was far more worried about it than I needed to be because you were right. I had known more than I thought that I knew. I know there's something about an exam that freaks people out so much. And I feel like every time I've run the program, I'm just trying to calm people down, you know. Yeah. And basically, it's an online multiple choice test, yeah. is essentially what it is. And it's then a quiz. it's, it's a, a quiz. quiz. Like a long quiz. It's, it's, yeah. it's a quiz with different sections. Yeah, exactly. And then for the people who do, who can't come in person and need to submit a video, there's a lot of detail and instruction on how to um, film yourself and film you and a student. Um, there's a lot of tips about how to do that. And one of the reasons I like forcing people to take, forcing, forcing people to take photos of themselves and upload it for pose review and force them to do you hear my dog snoring right now? Insane. No. <laughs> like so loud. Having little doggy dreams. Um, one of the reasons I like forcing people to take photos of themselves and forcing them to video themselves is because these are skills that are actually really useful if you want to, say, start an Instagram account or a YouTube channel. or So even if there's like this pain threshold of like, oh, I have to deal with extra technology if I do this online training, it's like sneaky immersion getting you where you need to go to build your yoga business. Because I don't know anyone, even if you don't plan to teach online, that doesn't need some photos of themselves or, um, you know, and again, like technology is just taking over. Tell us a little bit about the, obviously, you know, the course covers and people can look online, you know, pranayama, asana, yoga sutras, uh, myofascial release, all this stuff. But then there is the business component. Did you mm -hmm. find any of the, and, and that's unusual, or is it unusual in your experience? Yes. Because my experience is that most in-person yoga teacher trainings or just yoga teacher trainings in general don't really include stuff about money or mm -hmm. business or how much you get paid. Like all of these things are like hush, hush, like never really addressed mm -hmm. head on. What was that like for you in the training that that this topic of um, business? So I was curious. I mean, because I am a, I am a business professor, and one of the big things that I've looked at in previous studies where I look at body workers, specifically yoga teachers, is their understanding of the marketplace and what happens. So they have this love of, um, of the practice. They have extra time, maybe flexibility in their schedules. A lot of people raising children um, or expats with their partners, right? So there's a mobility factor to it. But then in an in-person training, it's kind of just like, 
training ends, practice ends, and you can just go read about that online somewhere or ask studios questions. So what was really great about this was you were really transparent. And I was really curious because I have done these other studies of whether or not you would get at some of the hard bits, like the things like, you know, the things that other people would maybe sweep under the carpet. You were really upfront about how hard it can be based on the studio model. If you're teaching in a, in a studio model, what some things are to do and say, how do you get that first job? If you want to work in a studio, you don't just send a bunch of emails places. So it's not only that you covered the content, but you actually did it like we were sitting down having a cup of coffee together and you were just like, let me give you the scoop on this thing before you go and make a bunch of mistakes. And you were really honest. Like you were like shockingly honest. Yeah. And- it's so funny because my, my husband was like, what are you doing? You need to be more like upbeat and sugarcoat and like get these people like, you know, be cute. <laughs> He's so funny. He was like, you need to uh, like, and I, and, and I said, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not here to BS a bunch of people. Cause he was like, they're not going to pay to study with you. If you just tell them how hard this really is. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I am going to speak the truth, my yeah. truth, the truth, because I'm not doing anyone a service by sugarcoating information or making things seem easy in order for you to sign up for my training. Forget that. You know, mm-hmm. I really, like you said, I treat everyone. It's like, like we're having coffee. And like, when you're in the training, it's like, we're just this family. And the reality is it is difficult, mm-hmm. but that isn't, you know, that doesn't, that's not to dissuade you. It's just like, I'm trying to give you guys a leg up so you can mm-hmm. have realistic expectations. So you can like not make the nine mistakes I made through trial and error when I was starting out, or I know so many people make when starting out, like getting that first studio job and just try to kind of break down things as much as we can. I don't know if we had this in your training, Amanda, but now we have a whole video tutorial about just how to get yoga insurance. Like, mm-hmm. no, you didn't have it. That's great though. Yeah. And, so, and it's like most yoga teacher training, they don't even talk about that. No, and it's just like, yeah. how is that responsible? Yeah. Yeah. It's, so you definitely walk, I mean, even without knowing about the insurance, I walked out of mine kind of going, oh, okay, she did touch on those points and she was really kind of honest about it. It, it is hard to make a living with teachers. It's not a mixture, but people do need to be able to make informed choices. And it is nice to not fall on your face the five times just because you didn't know, right? So or to think you're failing at being a yoga teacher because you're supplementing your income. I supplemented my income for years, literally years. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you have good advice because I I remember people asking questions like, should I quit my full-time job and be a yoga teacher? I'm going to take a huge pay cut. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you know, you don't say yes or no. It's not like this binary yes, no. It's you need to look at what works for you and your lifestyle and what's important to you and what you can afford and your support network. And is it so bad if you're supplementing your income? You know, if you can monetize your downtime and be able to pursue a passion that you love and add that into your into your life is that a bad thing and that's maybe something that other people in the past have maybe been like no you have to be a yoga teacher or you need to have a corporate job or do this or do that and you really go you know what 
you can actually be juggling both. And that's great. You don't need to basically think, oh, if I'm not a full-time yoga teacher, I'm somehow not succeeding. Yeah. And um, you can and fuse yoga with your other passions. Totally. And that's what's going to make you unique and help you find your niche. Um, so, Like if you want to study yoga and be a business professor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and um if you're listening guys in the yoga hacks podcast if you go a couple episodes back we actually have an episode called should i quit my full-time job and teach yoga so if that's something you're wondering a lot about make sure to go look at that episode it's probably five six or seven episodes back um amanda what are your closing thoughts having had the in-person experience the pros and cons totally honest and then having the online experience because i know again i do both i love both I don't want to push people into doing an online training, but again, especially in gathering my courage to do this podcast with you, I think I do need to stand up for how awesome online really is a little bit more than I do. Um, You know, if you're someone who has a local teacher that you absolutely love, who wants to teach locally, in which case also making those business like local contacts with where you do your training and that local teacher and, you know, um, you really need that like local network because you're planning to teach a lot locally and you have a teacher that you really trust. Um, and you have the ability to do like nights every night and weekend at a studio, um, or however the format is, I would recommend you do in person, right? That would be what I would tell you to do. But if you have kids, if you also have a full-time job, if you're busy, if you're not near a yoga studio or a teacher that really resonates with you, that's really setting your heart on fire, getting you excited. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm maybe going to suggest that online isn't what you think, or it, you know, hopefully as you learn in this podcast, it's, it's different than what you think. Um, what advice would you yeah. give people, Amanda? I think that you touched on some of the big, big things. It's finding someone that you really resonate with and want to learn from. And sometimes we're really lucky and we can do that face-to-face. And sometimes we're uplifted members and we're already spending our time with you and we go, you know what? She makes a lot of sense to me and you're likely going to learn a lot if the person's instruction is already making a lot of sense to you. I think it's also this idea of, it's not a one-stop shop. You don't become a yoga teacher and then do one 200-hour training and then say, sayonara, I know everything there is to know. And so maybe in this moment, in the now, maybe what you have access to based on your resources, based on your location, based on how old your children are, if you have children, maybe right now online training's available. And it doesn't have to be an either or, or uh, this or nothing. It can be, I'm going to do this now. And then in the future, I'm going to maybe do these other things. And so it's maybe stretching out this idea of the practice. And this is just one step along the way. And does it give you everything? No, but it gives you things that maybe the in-person doesn't give you. And it's just a step. It's just a, it's a building block. The other thing that's really nice about it is it's a building block that you can just keep going back to. So, you know, if I have a question, I can still go back to my content. I can go back to the videos. I can go back to my manual. So it's not, it hasn't decayed. It stays with me. So that's just a really nice way to maybe think about it. It's, it's available. It's accessible. It's my now. And that's great. I love, love, love what you're saying because 
learning and this whole yogic path, it really is a lifelong process. I mean, even for me, I'm, I don't know, I posted on Instagram a little bit ago about how I was like desperate to go on this yoga teacher, um, and and a a deeper meditation training. And I, I can't just because I have, have my little baby son, you know, he's three months old. There's no way that's going to happen. And it's disappointing to me that more teachers don't make really high quality content available online because people are thirsty for this knowledge. And it's exactly like you said, it's not a one-stop shop. I know it might feel that way to people, especially because it is a big investment of time and money. So it feels like, oh my gosh, I have this gun with only one bullet in it and I need to pick the right training. But really when you take the long view, you're always going to want to keep learning. You're going to connect with other teachers who resonate you and set your heart on fire. And then you're going to need to study with them. And, and whether it's a retreat or a training or, you know, an intensive Mm -hmm. meditation, like you're going to keep evolving. You never stop evolving as a teacher or a human. That's the beauty of it. So if online makes sense to you right now, it's just such a great way to take a first step that is so deep and transformative and interactive and, there is, I just want to touch on the bridge program, which is for people who already have a 200 hour degree and they can basically take the whole online training at a reduced rate as someone who already has a certificate. We have you email in your certificate. But what's so fascinating to me is the majority of people who are doing that, so many of them are doing it because they were disappointed Mm -hmm. in their (laughs) in-person training. Mm -hmm. They feel like they didn't graduate with the tools they need to really teach. They feel like they didn't graduate with Um, a comprehensive understanding of anatomy and alignment. They're insecure because they didn't get into action around, Mm -hmm. around anything. Um, And and maybe they just, I don't know. I don't know if these people, they just like picked a training off a website and like flew to Costa Rica to do a training with someone that they'd never met. Like, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. it really is shocking to me. Like how many people end up in the bridge program for this exact reason that they just didn't feel they were either disappointed or didn't feel like they got enough out of the 200 hour experience. I do think, I think especially some people are really great with anatomy and other people are really great with philosophy, but there's usually one part that needs a little more practice. And the nice thing about the videos is you can go back to them. So if I don't get something on, you know, the spine or the way that the knee works, I can just watch the video five or six times until I get it. In person, it doesn't work that way. You know, eventually you keep asking questions and the teacher's like, wrap it up. Like, let's, we got to move on. Yeah. Or you're really embarrassed. Right? Like, yeah. I'm totally, like in my yoga yeah. teacher training, first of all, the anatomy was amazing, but she was only there for like the weekend, right? So it was like, if I had yeah. a question about that two weeks later, like she was gone, right? Because usually yeah. anatomy expert is brought in and then they leave. Um, same thing, like the Tantra part of my yoga teacher training was the most, I was so looking forward to it on the syllabus. I had it like circled. I was like, Tantra day. I'm so excited. And for whatever reason, like that day I was totally off. I think I was just hadn't slept well. Everything just kind of conspired. And I would just, I would do anything to be able to listen to that lecture again from my amazing teacher, like anything. And it's just gone. And so one of the things you do gain with the online is just like those videos are there for you forever. You can go back and watch them, rewind them. And then of course, like get your questions answered when the program's going on live. It's also nice. I guess the only other bit of advice that I would have having done both and spending a lot of time with people's with yoga teachers and, and the way that they understand their body and relate to other people's bodies 
a lot of people talk about an insecurity, like, am I this enough? Am I that enough? Am I flexible enough? Am I strong enough? Am I thin enough? Am I wearing the best clothes? And a lot of that that stigma that kind of maybe exists in some, some not all all studios, but maybe some, that's not the feeling here. Um, It opens up the space of acceptance with lots and lots of different bodies, uh, lots and lots of different ages in which you train face to face I think the average age was 27 years old everyone was in perfect health and even when I did my training with you like there were some people that were well into their 50s 60s and so all of a sudden this idea of who can be a yoga teacher opens up and that isn't just important because of body acceptance it also means that if you're considering moving into um a second phase of your career or maybe your children are now out of the house and you would like to do some 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 work that opens up an option for you and i i get the feeling that the studio setting for certain demographics certain ages certain body shapes might not feel super cool it might not feel great you might not have the confidence and so this is like a way for lots of different people to be exposed to it in an in a different way. And, and hearing you say that reminds me of something else too, that like the average age is 27 in a lot of these in-person trainings definitely was the case in my training. And again, that's just because those are the people who can make that time commitment to be there in person and, and everything. But one of the pieces of feedback that another student, I think who was in your class actually gave about the training, which I thought was so interesting, was that she said she loved how diverse um, the training group was because instead of just studying with people who are like kind of maybe around your age, kind of from the same town or place, we have this giant age spectrum. I mean, we had in one training, I literally, we had, I made her get approval from her mother. We had a 16 year old or 17 year old take training. And in your class, I think we had someone in their Mm seventies and it's so cool because it's like this collective knowledge Mm -hmm. that, um, like the old, like sometimes like some of these people, the older, like they're so wise. Mm-hmm. They would like chime in on the live calls with mm-hmm. this like pieces of intelligence and, mm-hmm. you know, people in all these different life stages. And it's like, you can learn so much from one another when we're in a diverse group like that, you know, and totally. um, also from all over the world. So it's, Absolutely. it's really special. Yeah. So I really did appreciate the diversity and the inclusivity was very important to me. And I think that that's a big, big trend in yoga right now is trying to make it a more inclusive and accessible practice. And this is something you're in the comfort of your own home. You know, the doors closed. You can be wearing whatever you want to be wearing. No one's judging you. No one's looking at you. Um, you know, yeah, we're looking at the photos, but you can take 14,000 photos before you decide on that one photo that you want to upload, you know? So you have an ability to kind of um, feel that sense of confidence. And that's a really nice way to start into this yogic journey is through acceptance and not through fear. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to me. And um, guys, we'll link up 
some of the, the references that we mentioned throughout the podcast below, like links to those other podcasts I mentioned, and of course, also to the training page if you want to check out both my in-person and online options. Thank you so much for being here, for listening, and so much love as always. From my heart to yours, namaste. This episode was brought to you by Uplifted. Try Brett's membership community for people who want to enrich their life through yoga for free at brettlarkin.com uplifted. Yoga obsessed? Join Brett for yoga teacher training at brettlarkin.com train. And don't forget to give back. Like this podcast, leave a rating or review. Share this with someone you love. Remember, now is the time to dedicate yourself to what matters most. From my heart to yours, namaste.